Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to TCD, the Corona Diaries, Chapter 75. I've had a day of attrition, Anthony. It's been a day, hasn't it? It's been a day. I mean, we were supposed to meet up at 10 o'clock, weren't we? We were. And then uh, we had the dog trainer coming, who, of course, was really coming to train us. Um, And he came, and he'd come all the way from London, and he's a disciple of Caesar Milan, the Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer whose uh, mailing list I used to be on back in the days when I didn't have a dog. And um, he came and, uh, my God, I mean, ninja. I mean, absolute ninja. Uh, He he had a little chat across the kitchen table about our dog boots and about the problems we'd had with her jumping in the faces of other dogs. Um, And... uh, he said, oh, I see. I mean, what's she like when you walk her? I said, oh, she's just pulling all the time, you know, she pulls you down the street. Mm, I see, right, mm, mm, I see. Well, I'll just try to walk her across the green. So he walks her across the green and she just stuck to his heels. And, and me and Lynette are just going, what did the bur- What? What? And then on the bench was this woman with a little black dog underneath that Boots had attacked last week. And uh, so understandably this woman was looking a bit nervous mm. as, um, as, as this chap approached with Boots. Nothing. No reaction whatsoever. I just thought, oh, God, that's some dark, dark it's dark art. That's dark. Yeah. And I was just looking out the window and I was just guffawing with laughter because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And so that was amazing. So, so yes, so then I couldn't do the podcast at 10 because of that. So we moved it, didn't we, to half past 12, didn't we? Well, we, 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 it's, it's been 10 to half 12 <laughs> yeah. to and then, 3. And then we moved it to 3 and then... Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't do half. Tw- I couldn't do half twelve. Why couldn't I do half twelve? I think I think the dog whisperer disciple fellow was still there, wasn't was he? he? Maybe he was still there. That's right, he was still there. Um, so we moved it to half past three. Then I got an email from the band saying Mike wanted me in the studio at three. So we moved us again to half past eight. Yeah, because I, I had I had under nines football training. Yes, yeah. yes. What curious lives we lead. Well, yes, indeed. And indeed. Uh, when I got back from the studio, I'd got a blinking email from Rothers saying, "Why don't we have a Zoom call at eight <laughs> thirty? So I said, "You can stick it up your ass. I'm doing a podcast." <laughs> <laughs> they weren't my exact words. <laughs> I am taking care of my alternative revenue stream, is what you said to him. I've postponed this bloody thing four times. I'm not moving it again. So, so hang on, go I back have, a bit. I've got Anthony to think about. Yes, so. yes, yes. I hope you... Yes. I did. Yes, yes. I don't think Rothers likes me anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so go back, all wind back, wind back. Yeah. So, so this magic, this this disciple fella... Hmm. Did did you find out how he did what he did? Ollie, no idea. No, it's just some kind of dog aura that he right. exudes. I mean, right. it was really properly, <laughs> proper, I mean, properly, properly, what the da? You know, it was like that. Because he didn't do anything, he just stood there and, it, and our dog turned into another creature on the spot. 
you know, like 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 he'd hypnotised her. And right, but off he's, they not went. A, he's not a living now, is he? You've not hired him as some form of dog nanny. So what happens now when you take Boots out? Well, she's changed. Oh, right. So it's been a permanent thing. It's oh, not just him. Well, you've got to keep. You've got to kind of keep doing it and and doing the things that he told us to do. Oh, so he did tell you to do a few special things then? He told us to do things, but they're, they're only things that I've done all along that never worked. Um, right. But now they work. Um, so she's a bit transformed. What we've got to keep... To, so at one point I said to him, so is, you know, with her behaving very well the way she is now? And I, I said, will that stop? When you've gone, and he went, "Oh yes," <laughs> it's, like, it's like he's the genie of the lamp or something. I was waiting for him to offer me three wishes. Um, so he got in his van and went off. But he said, "He said it will stop once I've gone." But you know, you have to keep it up. Um, right. So, but she, it didn't actually stop when he'd gone. She, she carried on being quite well behaved. Right. And he's coming back in another couple of weeks or something, right? For another go. So right. uh, I dare say he'll have a we'll have a standing on an upturned bucket, <laughs> balancing footballs on her nose <laughs> next time, no doubt. Have you had an extra couple of walks then today, just to show off to the village? Yes. Have you? Yes. Yes, we've right. been round the green. We've been round the green, showing off. Right, with a dog <laughs> at your heel, not attacking other dogs. Exactly. Not, right. pu- not pulling you along. Right. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. And what was it? What was this fella called? He was called Ollie. Ollie. And he's got a company called Canine Karma or something. Oh, that's a good name. With K K A R M A. Yeah. Know, but Karma, yeah. obviously. Karma. And uh, he sorts dogs out, and he sure does. Right. And he's got a van. And he's got a fair play to Ollie then. Yeah, fair play to Ollie because well, yeah, he's, he's flown to America and and you know had had uh, classes with the Caesar Milan. He right. of the very white. Do you know about Caesar Milan? Have you ever well, seen him? I, I, to be honest, I don't. But I, I was I was going to go and have lived. a craft a crafty look when nobody was looking. Yeah, you got to. You've right. got to get Caesar Milan up on Google because he's got the whitest, whitest, widest smile. And he looks, he looks, you know, he's a Mexican and he looks very Mexican. Right. And he's a dog genius, you know, and he transforms dogs in moments. And that's what this guy did. I thought it was just TV effects. I thought, yeah. no way, no way. This, this is six weeks later. But no, I'm a wow. believer, Anthony. You're a believer. I am. I then am you saw so. his face. I did. I oh, I think that's brilliant. I think it's worth missing an episode. For. And then, then you look, it's 75 anyway, and we sat here, quarter to nine at night. I've got a glass of wine on the go. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I said I wouldn't have a drink today. Well, is that is that because you were out on the so lash yesterday? High enough is honey to kill. Yes, God, I was on the lash. We were over the road with Nick and James. Well, it's funny because oh. Alison and I talked about it, and and I was like, I know where I know because we were supposed the the family quiz was scheduled. Don't choke while you're drinking out the bottle. <coughs> <coughs> the family quiz was scheduled for last night, wasn't it? Jeez. Yes, it was. Yeah. And and nobody'd heard from you. No, we thought you were having an early night because of the dog whisperer. No. <laughs> no, no, siree. No, we but were across the road with Nick and James. T- now you can answer a question for for this is a debate in our household because oh, yeah. we know you're very good and you're early to bed on school nights with vibes. Did you tiptoe over mid afternoon? What to Nick and James? Yeah, no, they tiptoed over to us mid afternoon right. and we started on the uh, on the pims, and oh. then we had a couple of jugs of that, and then. Um, James announced that he'd made a, a very large fish pie that was far too big for the two of them to eat. And would we like to ha- go over and have fish pie at oh. um, 5.30? So we said, yes, that would be delightful. And so we went over and had fish pie and then, of course, Nick and James are sort of alcohol ninjas really, so mm. then, the, then the plonk came out and... Um, we yes, 
the the family quiz never even made it onto the meters. <laughs> no. Um, but, I mean, we weren't to bed super late. Well, no, no, no. That's what. No, I thought that. I mean, you you're not you're not a night owl in that respect. I mean, the village doesn't sound like it's three or four in the morning. <laughs> so you're very well behaved. And on a school night, you know, it's just that you you're pissed when you go to bed. Yes, I was yeah. last night. Yes, I'm not always pissed when I go no, to bed. No, there, no. Why well, there was there was <laughs> that day last year. Yeah, there was that Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Tuesday, I think. Was it? Oh. Um, so anyway, um, I should really be starting the episode episode by going, "Well, radiation then," but I'm not even going to bother <laughs> oh, trying. Yeah. I'm not even going to bother trying. I'm going to leave that for seventy six. We'll come back to it. We'll regroup because because it went so badly wrong when I tried it last time. Uh, I'm going to get I'm going to get the podcast whisperer to come in and spend an hour with you, and see if mm. we can uh, focus me. in mm. discipline you on those topics. Get me to um, walk and heal. But but we ought to just we ought to celebrate the fact it's the seventy fifth one of these we've done. Oh, that's why I'm drinking. That's why you're drinking. That's why you're drinking. That's why I'm drinking. Well, I'm, I'm just drinking because it's it's quarter to nine and I've had under nine's <laughs> football. That's why I'm drinking. It's Monday, um, which is technically Sunday night. Light, yes, I think. Oh, I'm confused Friday now. Night. What, is, what is it we call Friday? No, Friday night, Sunday night, junior. <laughs> you can call Monday, <laughs> Sunday night, Sunday night junior. <laughs> you know, like you call Thursday, Friday night, junior, right. which is technically the weekend. Right. So, from when, Tuesday, really, you should stay off the drink. And when's the, where, when's the hump fit into all this? <laughs> Do you know? Have you heard about nano? <laughs> You're now trying to take a cardigan off, and it's, it looks like it's. Have you heard about nano antibodies on the subject of hump? Um, llamas. Don't right. have a hump anyway, but you know, right. I've, I've, the hump has led me to llamas. And um, llamas and alpacas. They have these things called nano antibodies that are much smaller antibodies than we have, and it's right. it's peculiar to llamas and alpacas. You know that Peruvian Andean sort of thing. For whatever reason, they've developed these things called nano antibodies, and they're light antibodies, but much much smaller. And they're working on creating a a COVID vaccine. Uh, which is sort of llama-based in the old um, nano-antibody. Because they're so small, they bind to the the coronavirus much more tightly and more of them can fit on. And okay. they're supposed to be, you know... They're, well, they've done research so far with mice and they all got better really quickly. And because they're nano-antibodies, you can uh, take it as a spray. You don't even have to have an injection. Ah. Ah, so it's the future, man. Anyway, about this hump. Yes. Well, th- here's the thing. There's two things come out of that. One is the, the flu spray for the kids is all... or the, fl- the flu vaccine for the kids that they've started doing is all spray-based, isn't it? Is it? Um, yeah, because Jack had it last year, and that was a that was a nasal spray. Ooh. But also, I I got Alison a green and pink. You know that soft material they make stress balls out of, that kind of spongy material. You get the stress yeah. balls that you yeah. yeah. Well, I got her a llama. Huh. Um, but so it's like a stress thing, and you squeeze it like that because it's very, you know, that kind of material in tactile. But it's called a a, um, a llama karma. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and she loves that, her oh. Lama Karma. So if she's feeling particularly stressed, she just gets a Lama Karma out and gives it a good squeeze. Oh, oh I see. wonder if anyone in Banana Rama had one of them. <laughs> Banana Rama Lama Karma. <laughs> it's, mer- it's merch, isn't it? <laughs> if you could get that on the front of a T-shirt, that would be a great T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you won't get it on a small. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, here's one of the things I need to talk to you about. There's a few things, a few bits of feedback we need to we need to discuss. Um, but you don't know, you don't know. There's a WhatsApp group called TCD Chapter Fifty. Oh, no. right, okay. So there's a WhatsApp group called TCG uh, TCD Chapter Fifty, and it's it's myself and oh. it's a certain Jillian, a certain Sue. 
Okay. Uh, because obviously 50 and 51 uh, was me chatting to your sisters and we put we had this little WhatsApp group for the for the purpose of just organizing that recording session. Mm. Um but every once in a while a, a little bit of debate, a little bit of conversation springs up on the old TCD chapter 50. <laughs> so your Sue uh, um your Sue sent me a picture of Charlie and Rose. Right. Okay. Are they the fish? They're the fish. Ah, yes. So I've got a picture of Charlie and Rose. Um, Rose, who was white with a red head, unfortunately didn't make it. Um, But Charlie has done a couple of winters of the pond and he's still alive and well. Good lad. So Charlie is still bashing around their pond. Yes. So I give him home in a polythene bag. Yeah, yeah. So I feel better now that we know that. Hmm. I think we can, because I think 75 is all about maybe, you know, putting a few things to bed and feeling better about certain things. So Charlie's still going going strong. She's great. God bless anyway, you. we then got on to the subject of Mablethorpe. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't Richard and Judy. It was Uncle Len and Auntie, Auntie June. Auntie June, it was, yeah. Our Sue's very good with details learned. Yes. She's a stickler. Yes. She is a stickler. Um, and they did a Punch and Judy and Magic Tricks, which I think you did say. Mm. But they also had a talent contest <laughs> that ran through the week, culminating in a grand final, which was on the Friday. That is true. Now, what happened in 1967? Did I win? You did win. Uh, with Edelweiss. You did win with Edelweiss, but Sue won as well. Oh, she would. Now, do you know what she? Do you know what she won with? Uh, was it flame throwing? <laughs> no, she did puppet on a string. Ah, oh, good old Sandy Shaw. Good old Sandy Shaw. So we're back to Sandy Shaw, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. And, and apparently, you knocked them out of the park. Apparently, you stole the entire event. And she goes on to put, "That was probably why nobody noticed." Oh, Jill wandering off. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. I think that's probably why she wandered off out of, probably... out of spite. The only way I'm going to get some attention yeah. anywhere near here is with a near-death experience. Exactly. So I, will, I, will, I will mount one. So anyway, that was, that was, that, that was great. It's probably so, still true to this day as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Sue added the backstory, which is brilliant. So... Thanks for that, Sue. Then, then <laughs> fashionably late, mm-hmm. your Jill pipes up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, because she was still behind on TCD. I bet he didn't mention my near-death experience. Uh, yes, And everything she said, she's, she's absolutely confirmed. Uh, mm. and, and then what we got was Steve was about 10 and he got me out. Without him, I wouldn't be here. You get a thanks and you get one of those single arm muscle emoji things. I think it's the strongman emoji. Um, and then she signs off with, it was a different time. Parents were a lot slacker in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I can't imagine what my mum and dad were up to. They were probably eating an ice cream, staring into space, you know. My dad, in fact, my dad was probably down a hole, digging a big hole in the sand to entertain the kids who, <laughs> the kids long, who long since got bored who was, and wandered who were off. drowning. <laughs> and and anyway, so G- Jilly finishes off. That's why I still only see swimming as a survival mechanism, not a leisure pursuit. Right. Fair, fair, fair play. Sue, not to be outdone, and always wanting the last word, pops in to say you were both cut and bleeding from the barnacles on the wooden groin. Oh. And I didn't know they were called groins. No, neither did I. G-R-O-Y-N-E. Oh, a groin with an E. A groin with an E. Yeah. And a Y. Sorry, sorry, G-R-O-Y-N-E. O-Y-N-E. So a groin with a Y and an E. Oh, my own groin. There, there. So, so anyway, I thought I'd let you, I thought I'd bring us up to speed with that. Um, so, that so that's rounded some of that story off. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Well, there so, we are. I've learnt something as well. I've learnt about the groin. You've learnt about the groin. Hmm. Hmm. So anyway, anyway, final thing. 
um, just while we're on bits of feedback we've had from people. Um, firstly, I got it totally wrong last week, and obviously I was all over the place last week. Um, mm. But um, Walk on Water wasn't a B-side to Holidays. It was actually around the time of um, of the Greatest yes. Hits album. The six and a half a dozen, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because we did it with Kimsey, didn't we? And yes, the, you did. Um, at the same time as we did Sympathy, we did our Walk on Water. Yes. I do um, remember that. Uh, it's a collection was the other one that went with mm. um, Now Can It Hurt? Yeah. Uh, which were the H uh, the H-E-H-I-E one. So thank you for whoever it was who pointed it out. I can't remember who it was, but yeah, Andy Miles. Andy Miles, bless him. Thank you, Andy. Mm. I did, as, soon as, you, as soon as you wrote it down, I was like, yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. It, they were all kind of moulded together because they were in that gap between Holidays and Brave, weren't they? So, and obviously there was the big gig at Wembley Arena and the other things, and it all it all fell in that in that gap, didn't it? Yes, well, just about everything's fallen in the gap between 1989 and now for me. It's, <laughs> it's all equally cloudy. <laughs> it's a bit cloudy. It's fallen in that gap. Um, the other thing we've discovered this week, um, and I'm going to drop names in, mm. Karen Chambers, because oh, okay. we were we were talking a little bit about. You know, it wouldn't go on forever, obviously. Um, and uh, and Karen has revealed that um, taking you and me into the bath is her weekly treat. Well, that's delightful, isn't it? Mm. It is delightful. Yeah. I feel cleaner. Do you? Yeah, Another like 30 at the same time. <laughs> Comedy gold, Ant. Comedy gold. Comedy Every gold. week. Every week. So, I've just got the faintest whiff of a scented candle. She mentions a scented candle. Oh, yeah. Girls yeah. can't have a bath without a scented candle. They can't, it's, can they? It's the law. Oh, I, oh, I didn't realise it was now the law. Yeah, of course. Oh, right. You can be done for that. Right, can you? <laughs> okay, fine. Um, now then, so. Start that joke, isn't it, about the none and the blind man? I told you that. The, 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 vicar of, the Vicar of Dibley joke. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> uh, so anyway, just sort of jumping on something you just mentioned, um, because it was Chris Kimsey, and we mm. haven't talked about Chris Kimsey, have we? No. No, we haven't. Chris was always a little bit, oh, all right, love, oh, all right, love. He was a bit camp, you know. He wasn't was camp, he? but he was very camp. Um yeah, he's quite quite a camp producer, Kimsey. Right. Uh, yeah, I got on very well with him. Um, we we formed a, a good working relationship together. Um, he'd done the psychedelic first, he'd, and that was good enough for me. Mm. So uh, I was I, I was you know I respected him for that alone. Quite apart mm. from what he'd done with Marillion, obviously. And the Rolling Stones. And the Stones, yeah, Steel Wheels. Uh, that might not have been the only Stones album he'd done, actually. Did he, he do Undercover of the Night? Oh, I don't know. Good question. He did the but, live album. He did um, oh, whatever, Flashpoint, which was the High Wire, which was the uh, Stones live album from the Steel Wheels tour. Right. Um, I'll, mm. I'll quickly check. I'll quickly yeah, check. It's a good track, that. Because obviously he's part of the he's he's a part of the Merlin story, but that's the first time and only time you work with him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He does phone up now and again, and you know, ask if if we'd care to do anything else. Okay, but, you know, so who can say? You know, it's never, yeah. never say never. I tell you what, it's a ridiculous list. If you look down his list, is actually. it? Yeah, yeah. And he did do he did do more. Um, I think he did. Hang on, he did Undercover and Steel Wheels. Right. Um, yeah, it's a great track with all the uh, the delays on the guitar. Very nice. Oh, he's also an engineer on Sticky Fingers, Some Girls, and Emotional Rescue. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah. So he did. A, he did a lot with the Stones. He tells that story about Keith and the Big Knife and Bill Wyman. Did I, have I ever told you that? Oh, one? you're gonna have to tell me that. Well, so he said he was in the he was in the control room one day, and 
It was the 80s and uh, I think they were going through a slight sort of sampling phase and um, they'd got a sampler and so Bill had sampled his bass guitar. He sampled all the notes and he was playing the bass. Chris was recording it, Chris Kimsey. And Bill was in the control room with this keyboard playing the bass, you know, on a keyboard, playing the bass line. And, and Keith came wandering into the control room and said, what's going on here? And um, Bill said, well, well, Keith, we've, uh, we've sampled my bass. And uh, we're just we're, we're just experimenting. We're playing the bass in with the keyboard. So with that, Keith reaches behind himself, pulls this enormous hunting knife out of his um, belt, sticks it under Bill Wyman's chin, and said, "Turn that fucking piece of shit off and put that bass guitar around your neck. This is a Rolling Stones." True story. Oh, I, I could so imagine. You know, as soon as you start that story, I thought there's going to be violence in this. Yeah, and I, and I met Bill Wyman years later, you know, outside the Radio 1 and, the, you know, a friend of mine introduced me to him and the first thing he said, I said, how are you doing? He went, better than I was when I was in that fucking band. And that he, he didn't know me, you know, that was his opening line. So it was obviously <laughs> still, play, still praying from, on his mind. On more than one occasion, I, I suspect, you know, it was probably one of many. Oh, so, um, yeah. so how did the Kimsey thing come about then? How, how, was it just a, a point in time you needed two tracks to make up, to make up the greatest album? It was exactly album? that, yeah, we we. EMI had got, got it into their bonnet to do the six of one and a half a dozen and they, they wanted um, they wanted two extra tracks from us and we didn't have a lot of time to be honest we, we didn't really have much time because we write very slowly anyway and so to write two songs in a hurry hmm. we, flew, we flew into a panic <laughs> and we managed to write I Will Walk On Water and um, we decided the only way out of the dilemma was to do a, a cover. And when I first met the band way back in 89 and we first went down to Brighton, we were in a pub and Sympathy by Rare Bird was on the jukebox. And I happened to spot it in the jukebox menu and I said, oh, do you know that track? It's a great song. And then put some money in the jukebox and played that song to the band. And so when we were, you know, those years later, we were look, looking, thinking about a, an emergency cover. I said, well, what about that Rare Bird track? No one's ever done that. So that's how come we, we covered Sympathy. And um, I, I think EMI just said, well, why don't you do it to Chris? Why don't you do it to Chris Kimsey? He's around and he'd be up for doing it. So we said, yeah, sure. Hmm. And that's, that's what happened. He made a great job of it. Yeah, yeah, he did. It was a, it was a nice, it was a nice session. That, mm. and you know, and they're very different sounding. Love them or hate them, they they are like a separate thing, aren't they? Mm. In the canon, those mm. two songs. And and as I said last week, um, it was Megan's kind of. That's what turned Dave Megan onto us. He, he happened to hear "I Will Walk on Water" and he said, "Oh, I like that." You know that. So without that, who knows? We might we might never have worked with Dave. Yeah, because as much as it's from that period, you, you're dead right. Um, it doesn't. They both sound like he, they both sound similar, and they both sound away from holidays. Um, How can it hurt? Does sound like a holidays track? Yes. Um, well, it was. We didn't yeah. record uh, how How can it hurt um, at that time? We only did. I will walk on water yeah. and sympathy. With Chris down at uh, Metropolis, which oh, is okay. a big, big power station in Chiswick. Yeah, yeah, converted. I think that's still open. I think it's still in business. One of the few that are. Yeah, I could be, be wrong there. Because Sympathy was the sing the, the lead single, but am I right in saying that No One Can was then put out for a second time? I honestly can't remember. Mm. 
I've got a sneaking suspicion. Well, Andy Miles will tell us if not, because mm. Andy seems to be keeping me on the straight and narrow at the moment. But I've got a sneaking suspicion you put no one can out for a second time. That might have been guilt on EMI's part. It probably was if they did, because they knew they'd really fucked it up. Mm. Yeah, I've got a sneaking suspicion of the, that being kind of in the with the the X logo on it that was on the album. I mean, it would, to be fair to EMI, all of those things were falling into the jaws of, of Britpop. Yeah. You know, and by then, um, Blur and Oasis were really happening and the whole Britpop thing was going on. And so everything that had preceded Britpop suddenly felt very kind of old hat and dated and I, I, maybe that worked against us. Well, certainly for the re-release, I think if yeah. I think if they'd done it first time round and done it properly, then maybe not because I think we you just were squeezed it in. Just squeezed it in before <laughs> it all changed. <laughs> You'd have been the last hair track before Nirvana broke, the equivalent of. <laughs> um, we, we'll go to a wee well, bit. They had of... a lot of hair, Nirvana. To be fair, yeah, they, you know, yeah, but they, they killed hair they... rock, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they just came and. Shut that whole thing down, didn't they? Yeah, it was it was great what they did. Oh, phenomenal! Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, how old's that album now? Very old. Yeah. yeah, that was Andy Wallace who produced that. Who produced Grace for Jeff Buckley as well? Amazing producer, amazing engineer. Um, should we should we go and have a bit of diary because we're about to do <laughs> something nice. we've never done before, which is we're about to talk about H live show for the first time in a diary excerpt. Yes, this was 97, wasn't it? And um, the diary excerpts begin with, with the H-Band tour, the mm. first um, the first shows we did with, with Clem Burke drumming and Chuchoma Shan on bass, Richard B, um, Aziz uh, and Dave Gregory. Dave and Dave Gregory. That would be before... Was Dahl not in the band at that point? I think Dahl came. I think he came later. I think he might have done. I think I might have added added Dahl, and possibly Stephanie was cellist. Did I add them? No, I don't think Stephanie was in right at the beginning either. You don't, I don't. No. I've skimmed the pages and I didn't see either of those names jumping out. Right. No. So it was a bit bit of a a slimmed down version of the H band to start with. When you were describing who got what bunk on the bus, they weren't mm. mentioned. No. No, they weren't, were they? So maybe that was no. pre pre tablers and cello. Though how do you get your tablers in a bunk? I've got no idea. Oh, they're not very big. A tablet, not too big. Huh? Sneak one of those in a bunk? Yeah, you sneak yeah. one in. I mean, three would be a bit. You know, get under your legs. You're not getting three tablers in my bunk. <laughs> <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> do like it when we saw that out earlier. Right. Well, I'll let you. I'll let you. Crack on with a bit of diary. Yes, let me take you to the garage uh, in uh, wherever the hell it is, uh, Islington. Um, all I think all all four members of Marillion came to that show. Uh, I think they did because I read yeah, the section. That's a lot of support, more than yeah. I'd get these days. Well, more than I give anybody else, to be fair. So that was touching that they all well, showed it was pretty up. Pretty much hundred percent. Hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, you only need a fish to turn up, and you'd have, you'd have, you'd have really got a, yeah, got into a fight, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, of course. That goes out to BBC Radio Devon. <laughs> <laughs> Private joke. Oh man. <laughs> anyway, go on then. I'll let you take it away. Okay, here it comes. Nineteen ninety seven Sunday, ninth of February H Band, London, the Garage. Sue was still feeling dreadful, so it looks as if she's going to miss seeing any of my solo shows. If she's better in the week, then maybe we can meet up at one of the European shows. I packed my things and arranged a cab to take me to the station at one thirty. I was leaving early in the hope of going shopping for stage clothes. 
The cab arrived a little late at 1.15. I kissed bye-bye to Sophie and Niall at the front door. Sue was still in bed. We just made it to the station in time to buy a ticket and jump aboard the train, which was already at the platform. The journey to London was uneventful. There were no cabs at Marylebone, so I walked along the west way towards Baker Street before hailing a cab to Covent Garden. I headed for Neal Street, where I thought the shops were most likely to be open. Paul Smith was closed, which was a pity. There was a great embroidered jacket in the window. I eventually found a pair of black trousers and a black T-shirt in Agnes B, along with some green velvet trousers over the road in Jones. Always a good bet for something wacky. By now it was 4.30, so I took the tube to Highbury and Islington and made my way across the road to the garage, which was deserted. I rang the bell in the doorway next to a couple of pictures of myself labelled Steve Hogarth of Marillion. Numerous instructions to both the promoter and the venue not to bill me this way had made no difference. Never mind, spilled milk. They'll always do what they've got to do to sell tickets. Someone let me in and I had a sniff around the club, which seemed okay. Priv was ensconced in a sort of DJ console thing and said anything that keeps the punters out is just fine by him. Richard B was already on stage and he came down and introduced me to his wife, Suzanne, who was sitting in the shadows. We didn't talk for long, but she struck me as a really nice person. It's a shame I didn't have Sue with me. I think they would have got on. Stuart was busy searching for the power supply for the drum sample pads, which seems to have gone missing since the Oswestry gig. Otherwise, he seems fine. Nick B was busy doing tour managery things, writing things on bits of A4 paper and talking into a mobile phone while shaking his head and wearing his I don't believe it, why doesn't anyone listen, I thought we'd already sorted this out, I'm surrounded by idiots, expression. The dressing room was small and smelly, so I decided to avoid it if I possibly could. I went on stage and checked everything was okay with the Kurtzweil. It was. I diddled about, checking this and that, while the musicians arrived one at a time. First Dave Gregory, then Clem Burke, then Aziz Ibrahim. Chuchamashan had called to say he was running a little late, as he was trying to sort out the problems with his crashed car. I said hello to Angie Moxham, who had come down to soundcheck, and then I got photographed eating a filled roll in the smelly dressing room for Jill Douglas, who wanted some casual photographs. The band were on stage playing by the time Chicho appeared at around 6.30. Everything seemed okay. My monitors were sounding good, apart from an intermittent hum, which was coming from the house system. The bus had arrived behind the venue, so I transferred my stuff onto it. It's a Lenrite tour bus, and I recognised it from the decor inside as the crew bus from the Afraid of Sunlight tour. I bagged a bunk in the middle, in the middle, which is where I like to sleep on tour buses. I lay down and had half an hour with my eyes closed until Nick returned with John A to say hello before the show. I called Sue with Nick's mobile and she wished me luck before I got changed for the show. I also met Chucho's wife, Anne-Marie, briefly. I had seen her before back in 1990 in Rio. I remember her walking into the hotel with Annie Lennox. They were both wearing identical leather sandals, which they'd bought in one of the leather markets, and I remember thinking I'd like a pair of those myself. I didn't mention it, although I probably will if I get to know her better. Maybe she's still got them in the back of a cupboard somewhere. I don't really remember too much about the gig. I think we got most of it right. I didn't think about who was in the audience, although I guess there would be quite a few record company people, and much more fearsome, the rest of the boys from Marillion. Afterwards, I found out that Ian, Pete, Mark and Steve were there. Ian was typically first backstage to say hello, and that he enjoyed the show. Thanks, Ian. Priv seemed happy with it, so by now I was feeling like it must have been a good gig. I have to be told. I didn't hang around too long in the dressing room. When I went out front, I only managed a couple of paces into the room before I was nobbled by the faithful, so I couldn't really mingle. Mark came over 
and said he thought it was great, particularly King, which he said he never really liked up until tonight. When there was almost no one left in the club, Steve R came over and said hello and said he'd enjoyed the show. I tore myself away from the remaining fans and returned to the tour bus, which was a bustle of musicians trying to work out where to sleep and where to put their things. We eventually got semi-organised. I was sleeping with Clem above me, Aziz below me and Richard across the aisle. I handed out glow stars, little luminous stickers of planets and space rockets, which we stuck to our bunk ceilings for enhanced cosmic experience in the night. I had brought too many bags on this tour, lots of little ones. Toilet bag, laptop, suit bag, hold all, and numerous Agnes B carriers. Chaos. I'm bound to lose at least one of them. I bundled them all onto an empty bunk below Richard and went to the back lounge to see what was going on. Overcome by tiredness, I made excuses, said goodnight, and entombed myself in my bunk. Monday, 10th of February. H-Band, Paris, Le Divin du Monde. Woke up for the umpteenth time to realise that the bus was stationary, and so we are probably in Paris. Pulled back my little curtain to have a squint through my bunk porthole. Day-glow awnings assaulted my delicate eyes, proclaiming, Sex, homo, lesbian, hetero, 400 degrees Fahrenheit. We were in the heart of La Picale, the red-light district, about 100 metres from Le Moulin Rouge. I decided I would sleep a little more and take advantage of the chance, rare these days, of a lie-in. I had too much to drink after the London show and my head wasn't ready for the day. By 11, the sounds of people creeping about, which are somehow always louder than natural movement, roused me into action. I realised my teeth were in desperate need of a brushing and staggered into the bus toilet to sort myself out. Nick had left a map to the hotel on the table and I was deciding which way up to hold it when Clem emerged from the bunk deck, grinning affably, with one of those masks that block out the light pulled up above his hairline. He seemed reminiscent of one of those early pioneers of flying machines or a 60s speed record holder. Clem's my hero at the moment. He lost his father in December and I've heard they were very close. Nonetheless, here he is giving it all he's got without a word of complaint about the compromises that come with a tight budget. We're all having to slum it a little to make ends meet. All the boys in my band have been there done it, enjoyed it, seen through it and have a perspective on the whole game which has left them enthusiastic yet, like me, tinged with a certain realism and a necessary pragmatism. We all know what it's like to be adored and we've all been ripped off too. Me, probably least of all, on both counts. <laughs> I made my way over to the Hotel Blanchefontaine to shower and call home before setting out with Dave Gregory in search of French brunch. We wandered about La Pigalle, trying to find somewhere to eat. Dave fancied an omelette, so it was a while before we spotted said item on the menu of a small but beautifully formed brasserie, the name of which escapes me. There was only one customer in the place, a mature lady who was seated next to a little dog which appeared to be her life's companion and to which she was feeding forkfuls of her lunch. Dave and I struggled with our pidgin French to communicate our desire for omelette to the waitress, and I suspect owner of the establishment. She seemed amused by our efforts in a motherly sort of way, and condescended to translate the menu into English. Everybody says the French, and particularly the Parisians, don't like the English. I have never found this to be the case, apart from the cab drivers who are, by and large, ignorant, crooked and hate everybody. We returned to the bus around four and I later walked alone to the venue, Le Divin du Monde. I was temporarily waylaid by Samantha, who stopped me in the street to expound on the delights of her sex club. Only 400 francs. You can have a free drinks and watch the sex show. A woman and woman. Woman and man. There are girls. 
you don't have to go with a girl, but perhaps you would like to have this special moment. I thanked her for her time, but explained that I must work and continued down the street where I encountered Nick B, who had watched all this from a distance to considerable amusement. We wandered around the corner where a group of five or six people were shivering in the drizzle. Nick showed me the way into the building before returning to the hotel for the rest of the band. I hung around in the street talking to the fans, most memorably a girl called Nooks, who had bought a considerable collection of photographs and album booklets, which I was asked to dedicate to half of France. This one to Eric, please. This one to Hervé. This one to Sandrine. To Louis. To Nooks. That's me. My curiosity soon got the better of me and I hurried inside the club for a look at the interior. The club was small and balconied with a tiny PA system that Priv was wrestling with in the hope of creating a sound worth hearing. He seemed resigned but made a show of optimism for my benefit. I found the backstage area and made a couple of cups of coffee which I took outside for the kids to share out. Back inside the club, there was much concern expressed by the management with regard to noise levels, new legislation in Paris, etc. Over the years, I have learned to totally ignore any such concerns. A rock drummer hitting a kit has a natural acoustic level which exceeds 100 decibels in any room other than a padded cell, and that's before anyone else strikes up a note of music. So as far as noise restrictions are concerned, it's best to agree, sympathise and then forget about it. Ironically, the sound on stage was really well balanced, thanks to the house monitor man who seemed to know his onions. Prev might have concluded that his best option was to leave the PA off for the show and come and sit up there with us. Sound check went well and I had a long chat with John A about the way everything was progressing. Situation normal. No good news. Ticket sales for tonight's show are inexplicably small at around 200. I dare say I'll never find out why. It's spilled milk already. The promoter, Gerard Trouault, was unavailable for comment, on holiday, on St. Bart, his Caribbean retreat. He had sent me a bottle of Dom Ruinois, the champagne whose cellars we had visited together when we were last in France. It looks expensive. If I were a cynic, I might calculate that it was a toss-up between the champagne and advertising the gig, but that would be unkind. We returned to the hotel to pick up our bags and trudged back to the bus in the rain. I bet you didn't have David Bowie doing this, I quipped over my shoulder to Nick as I staggered along the pigal with my heavy bag and the water dripping off my nose and eyebrows. Nonetheless, I was looking forward to the show. Another chance to listen to Aziz Ibrahim and Richard Barbieri weaving their magic carpet of atmospheres which form the introduction to my album and cloak the songs with echoes of other cultures. Another chance to play to a Paris crowd, no matter how small. The vibe in the room was to prove to be out of all proportion to the size of the crowd and it was, once again, a rare evening. We were called back for three encores. We had prepared a maximum of two, so I went out alone with the intention of fumbling through half-remembered piano voice versions of Easter and The Hollow Man. I amazed myself by playing Easter almost correctly and then cried my way through The Hollow Man as the irony of its sentiment broke over me anew. I always blub in Paris, like rock and roll's equivalent of Paul Gascoigne. Thank you all the same, Paris. Afterwards, I was interviewed, keeping my old friend Sally waiting. It was a shame we couldn't have grabbed more than a minute. I was hustled away, last as usual, to a restaurant across town to have dinner with Jean-Marc from the record label. I ordered all the wrong things and didn't really feel like eating them. There was some confusion over the bus which was supposed to meet up with us after dinner, but it failed to show. We eventually had to move next door to allow the restaurant staff to go home to bed. It was kind of fun. All Aziz's fault for confusing the arrangements. Nick made a show of annoyance, but I don't think anyone really minded much. The bus finally arrived around 3am and we clambered on. 
I wasted no time getting to bed. I was suddenly tired and looking forward to the day off in Amsterdam. And for the 75th time, and we're back. back. Oh, it's all a bit loose tonight, isn't it? It's dark and we're back. We're back in the dark. I know, we're back in the dark, I know. Well, that's a. Do you know what? I'd like to say it's a great diary section, but I've not read it all. But I did spot there's a bit where I think you might have done an accent. <laughs> uh, I think you might be referring to Samantha. <laughs> I was. <laughs> she, she accosted me in the street and nearly dragged me through her curtain. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> by the um, by the hand. Oh, I bet Chris Neal knows a limerick about it. Oh, dear. Uh, yes, I did see that little bit. Ralph has and... gone for a person, doesn't it? Being dragged through a curtain. Yes. Yes. Um, I had a limerick about somebody who ran a, a brothel from the back of the garage, but I'll, I'll leave that out. Um, a brothel in the back of the garage? Yes, yes. Oh. Yes. In Harwich, would you? Would you? Uh. <laughs> and if I tell you that undercarriage was the... Uh, 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 <laughs> that inspired. was the payoff line. Inspired. Yes. 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 But uh, I'll, I'll share that on a different day. So um, those first few hate shows, those first few shows, mm-hmm. how well rehearsed were you for that? Because it sounded quite chilled, that first show. I think we were quite well, well rehearsed, despite the fact that Clement Chichard had a car crash on the first day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shouldn't laugh at that. Drove into a drove into a lady in a Volvo. I've told you that story, haven't I, about them swerving? They were. I, I think... put I put Clement in a hotel in a place called Horton Cum Studley, which oh. is in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So we'd flown oh. to England from New York. And was in was in the middle of the English countryside in a sort of one one horse, literally one horse village, and um, then Chucho had come come over to him and his, uh, I think he'd arrived the, the following night and in his little three series BMW and they both climbed into that, and. Uh, Chucho said, hey, man, I want to go running. Let's go running. And Clem said, well, come on, man, let's go running. He said, no, no, I don't want to go running. Yeah, let's go running in the countryside, man. We drive a little bit down, then we go running. So Clem got into the the BM with um, Chucho and they sped down this lane on the wrong side of the road in proper Ansacoolis fashion. Uh, Clem had just arrived in from New York, so he didn't give it second thought. Chucho had been in Bogota or somewhere for, for six months. He didn't give it much of a second thought, and they shot down the road on the wrong side, and this this, this deer came back the, the other way in a Volvo, swerved to the left to avoid them, and they swerved to the right to avoid her and smashed straight into her. <laughs> And uh, and so they arrived about three hours late, first day of rehearsals, and Chucho going, she was such a nice lady, man. She was so nice. She was so nice. We trashed her car and she could not have been nicer about it, man. So uh, he arrived late. They arrived late in the mean rhythm section. Um, but we did, yeah, We I think we did do quite a lot of rehearsal. But, but I mean, the thing is with... Unlike Marillion, um, they did arrive, s- certain elements of the band arrived day one with everything already learnt and mm. written out. Dave Gregory is extremely pro and studious and he would arrive with it all ch- all done in charts. Yeah. Richard B is the same. He'd, he'd already done all his programming, um, got all his parts together. It was kind of, re- you know, you could have almost run the set um from the first moment of of rehearsal so they were fast in fact they were pushing me along you know we'd get to the end of a song and clem would go 
how are we going to finish this? And I'd go, well, couldn't we just go to... And he'd go, you really want to finish it like that? And I'd think, ooh, well, what do you think, Clem? Well, I don't know, it's your band. <laughs> like that, you know. Well, you suggest something, Clem, and uh, <laughs> I'll tell you if it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just looking up. I'm just looking up the set list for that night. Mm. I just found it. Um, so, uh, really like you, Dinosaur Thing, Cage, Better Dreams, King. Yeah. Which you do mention in the diary. Evening Shadows, Deep Water, Nothing to Declare. Uh, yeah. The last thing, centres working overtime, okay. living for the city, um, um, and then it looks like you played dinosaur thing again, right? As a second uncle, shits and giggles. There we are. Gosh. So that's a that's a set list. Mm. That's mm. a that's a set list. Um, it was great fun doing centres working overtime. Uh, yeah. And living yeah. for the city is a great song. It is. Killer. Absolute killer. So that was that one. That was, yeah, February the 9th, 1997, The Garage, London, England. Um, and then it says at the beginning, as it is in Rich, intro. Yeah, they used to go and make a lot of dark, dark, spooky, kind of oriental and Indian noises to get right. things going. You know, like <laughs> yeah, pretending his guitar is a sitar. I don't know how he does that. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, great fun. It is. If you've never heard him do that, that is. He, he, I remember being sat with him in his uh, in his apartment, and he he just he just picked up this guitar and started playing it like a sitar. I was like, how the hell do you do that? Because he gets the tone right and everything. It's not just the notes, it's the tone as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's remarkable. You know. Remarkable uh, talent. Yeah. Anyway, um, lovely diary section. The, what I was, I thought we'd leave it with today um, was I've, I've, so I do, a pod, I do another podcast myself and there's a few people I've met through that one and I happened to share something with a group of people uh, around that thing because we recorded... The very first time we ever put set mics up and recorded a podcast, it wasn't for TCD, was it? No, it was for sure, wasn't it? It was for sure. We did one which covered the crowdfunding story. Hmm. And I shared that link with a few people uh, I've got to know, and they've been listening to it over the weekend and really enjoying it. So what? Uh, um, um, we ne we've not mentioned it up until... Well, not mentioned it at all, have we? Um, and so it might be funny, might be quite interesting for any of you out there to, to, to hear the what it, what it was like the very first time we sat down and, and did this, just to see if, if it bears any resemblance to where we are now. It probably wasn't as goofy, was it? We, we, I, I think we were quite serious. You were probably certainly pretending to be serious. Oh, I'll, I'll have come relatively prepped because I'll have been trying to impress you because at that point in time I'll have thought you were quite serious. Yes, well, yeah, not for long. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it lasted that morning. <laughs> if I'm being honest, no. So uh, what I thought, what I thought we could perhaps do is we shove the link on the on the notes this week. Sure, and and then people can have a bit of a double whammy this week. Um, and it looks like we're delivering great value, but really it's something that we made earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's something we made earlier. But have a listen and see if we see what you think, because it must be, that must be five years, four or five years now. Is it? Gosh. Must be about that. Sure. Maybe, maybe It must be something in that neck of the woods. Here in the kitchen, wasn't it? Here in the kitchen. Here in the kitchen. And you you told the crowdfunding story absolutely brilliantly. Hmm? Thank you very much. Uh, I tell you when it was, it was just after fear had come out. Right. So how so long has fear been out now? It was five years. <laughs> yeah. Fear had just come out. I know, I know. But we're nearly there. We are nearly there with the new one. I mean, the part of the reason I've had such a fraught day today is because we're listening to mixes. Mike's mixed a couple already, and so there was a lot of beard stroking and what ifs and is it all right and you know, is it is it right? Is it right? Is it right? Is there you know anything? Any last minute? What do they say in weddings? <laughs> 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 it 
Just well, if think, anyone think... knows a just impediment <laughs> why this mix will not be married with this record, speak now. It's your last chance. It's a bit like that. I couldn't think of one at the time, but I'm, I'm sure if you asked me again, I'd probably come up from come up with my own, probably, for my wedding. <laughs> Your own impediment. My own impediment. <laughs> Hang on, I've got one. <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> You're the groom, you can't have one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, congratulations, Mr H. Yes, thank you. What have I done? Well, we've got this far, haven't we? Oh, I see. God, yeah, we've got this far with the with all of it. Yeah, we've got yeah. TCD to number seventy-five and the album to damn nearly number twenty. So, mm. yes, it's it's no wonder I'm knackered. Yeah, yeah, you're carrying it well though, and that's a fantastic card you've been wearing. Glazed Express. <laughs> it's a bit of a granddad card, yeah. Oh, I like it. It's a good cardy that. It's a classic, isn't it? That one. What do they call that knit that goes down like that? That kind of, it must have a name. So like a, I, I want to say ribbed, but I, I'm thinking better of it. Well, it might be ribbed. <laughs> it would be ribbed. Roger, the Roger Moore. Oh, so yes, it's a Roger Moore. Wait, well, it probably was ribbed with Roger. He probably raised his eyebrow when he said it. Well, he did Roger Moore, didn't he? Then the average. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I thought that was just. Merely legend, but there we are. <laughs> I'll uh, we'll get back to seriousness for next week. I'll, I'll definitely ask you about we radiation won't. next week. We won't. <laughs> we won't. He will. I definitely won't. I have an animal inside me. He sleeps during the day, but he kicks and ticks. Even when he's sleeping Never completely goes away And as the evening shadows Stretch themselves The animal begins to wake Out to see what is for breakfast. He takes whatever he can take. He isn't murderous or wicked. Sometimes he's like a little child. But he's voracious and insatiable He's self-destructive And he's wild I sometimes think about the animal Sometimes I'm proud Sometimes ashamed I know he drove me from my hometown He made me feel I'm not the same I know he stops me being boring And I don't know if I control him But I must try to keep him chained Cause he doesn't think about the future He lives completely in the now Now
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>